All right, Scott, we keep on rolling with, with guests on the program. It's it's getting pretty exciting over here. Yeah, it's real nice to have another one. And we today we got, or tonight for this matter, we're recording uh, Wednesday night. Tonight we got Troy Macker from net on the program. And him and Rob Douster do a great job of all your college hoops fix. These guys just keep you informed, real witty, real good stuff. And, and we want to wel- welcome on Troy. What's going on? Uh, nothing much, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm glad to lend my knowledge and, uh, and insight on the game to you guys. Definitely. So, you know, it's, as, as we talked about beforehand, it's, it's a slow week, uh, around the Big East and all of college basketball, the, the whole climate in general, it slows down during finals week. But let's take a little step back of, you know, the game minutia and, and everything happened on the court. But we want to talk about Syracuse. And they've reached number one in the rankings. Good for them. I don't know if Ohio State is actually better than them or, or whatnot. But we want to talk about their depth and just how, you know, is this their second five coming in the court? Is it is this the deepest team basically that uh, Bayheim has had up in, up at Cuse? Uh, well, you can certainly make the argument for it. I mean, when you look at their roster, it's just rattle off names. I mean, uh, their freshman class is loaded, and a lot of those guys don't even see significant minutes I mean, yeah. they got 19 like almost 19 guys on their mm-hmm. roster um this has the potential to be the deepest team um uh, jim Beham has ever had uh you look back at you know i, I think it was the the 2000 roster uh they're loaded with talent but depth doesn't always mean success a lot mm-hmm. of times when you have so many good players it's it's hard to get them all minutes Yep. Um, and they've they kind of lucked out in the fact that uh, Scoop Jardine hasn't played that great, so they're able to see who else can play in the backcourt. But um, it, depth is good for injuries, but sometimes it's hard to really get a core nucleus of guys when you have so many other people you can call from uh, on your bench. Yeah, totally. And with basketball, there's only – as you're talking, it, it goes without saying there's only five guys on the court. In hockey, that's obviously going to benefit you more. When, when when you need a very deep rotation. And you talked about Scoop. I mean, Dion Waiters has has filled in and just played amazing in the early going. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he was thought to maybe transfer last year, and, there, you know, there are some issues with him, and he's just, you know, he, he's done better than expected. Um, and, you know, only in his second year. So being able to call on a guy like that, off the bench when your your starter your go-to guy is struggling um it's it's a great thing to have um and i know last week or over the weekend he, he put on a show on his birthday which was which was great to see um but i mean they have so many guys guards forwards that they can really call on um you know i i'm a georgetown guy so um as a fan you know i, I don't not a big syracuse guy but looking at this as a roster as a team i just like it this team has all the tools to, to be, you know, standing at the end of the season. Yeah, and they're a little bit different than Georgetown because uh, G-Town's really running only out six guys in their rotation with Otto Porter really being the only guy off the bench. Um, you know, you were saying that it, depth doesn't de- uh, mean success except if you get hurt or whatever happens, but, you know, I think it's a pretty good indication of them really having a good shot to make it uh, later in the year when when minutes start to get, you know, folks get tired, legs get tired. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's kind of uh, twofold, I guess, because you can call on a guy off your bench who's proven, who's you know it has a lot of talent. You don't have to uh, if you're Beheim, you don't have to really pace back and forth and think about man, who do I want to put in? You have guys you can call on, but at the same time, when you call on those guys. Because there's so much depth, mm-hmm. they might have not, you know, uh, gotten that much time, you know, on the court with another group of guys. You know, it's always shuffling guys in and out because there's so many, so much talent. But like you said, towards the end of the season, you can, if someone's struggling, you can pull them out, put another guy in. You know, maybe he's got the hot hand. So it really gives Jim Beheim a ton of options um, as the season progresses, especially in that, you know, the Big East Conference, which is absolutely brutal. I mean, it's a it's a dogfight. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. The- yeah, those 18 games. And, you know, what you're getting at is I think they're going to dominate in the Big East. They do have to contend with UConn and some other teams. But it's I think the depth is going to bode them very well in the regular season. But come tournament time, anyone can get hot and – the thing about Syracuse is they don't – Chris Joseph is good. Dion Waiters can be a microwave at times, but they don't have a dominant just throw it down in the post or or just you know go off for, for 30 one night, and that, that might be what doesn't equate in NCAA tournament success for this team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they have – I've really been impressed with the way James Sullivan has played. Fab Mello's making a big step. Rakeem Christmas is a, a really solid freshman, but you know who's that guy who's going to score twenty when they need it? Who's going to be the guy to you know get every touch the last five minutes of a Big East tournament game? Yep. Um, and that's you know I, that's one of the big questions with so much depth that they have. Yeah, that's the big question for me. It's like who's going to take that shot at the last second? That's where depth goes out the window. You know, when when Kevin Jones from West Virginia was drilling that three to send him to overtime against Kansas State, who's going to be that guy for Syracuse? I, I tend to think it's going to be Chris Joseph, but who knows? Yeah, I think you know, I I think he's probably the guy who's. But you know, that that's a good thing is when you have so many players, sure. One of the guys might not be your surefire. You're getting the ball with one possession left. But the defense now has to you know, react to four guys being able to yeah, take that shot. Definitely. Because you can put your four best shooters yeah. on the floor, and they're all good players. Yeah, yeah. it's not that double or triple team where everyone runs the corner and they're on you know, Jeremy Lamb at the end of the game. Yeah. But, you know, I think we've uh, talked about Syracuse a ton, and I I just want to sort of switch the focus a little bit to um, an article that was presented on your guys' website, uh, ballandisahabit.net, about this basketball and football being a major that could be available for uh, big-time sports programs across the country. Do you want to just dive right in and talk talk a little bit about it? Yeah, well – Rob Doster, my uh, my colleague uh, at the site, he's from uh, Connecticut, big UConn fan, and so he he does a lot of the UConn stuff. And there was an article written uh, by Kevin Duffy from the Connecticut Post, I believe. And there had been uh, talk about this. I've seen some articles in the past couple months about um, if it was possible for colleges and universities to make that uh, the football and basketball, the revenue sports majors. And what Rob did is he looked back at some of the guys who had come through the program to see what they were doing now. And surprisingly enough, you know, a lot of them are still working in basketball. Um, you know, Daniel Marshall, Ricky Moore, 
um, are still coaching. Uh, I believe Donnie Marshall might have even been an assistant coach at uh, at George Washington right down the road from us. Okay. Um, and so the, the point is, is that if instead of these guys playing basketball and then taking other classes, like if they want to go into sports marketing, well, being a marketing major, catering everything towards the basketball mm-hmm. uh, or the the yep. basketball or football aspect of it, um, just because everything is so hectic and, you know, you know, if you're on the road and during conference tournament play, you know, you're, you're not even at school for 10 or 15 days or something like that. So um, it's, a, it's a really interesting debate, and I think it's the perfect time to debate it because, like we said at the beginning, there's really, you know, nothing else going on this week. So yep. this is the perfect time to write about it uh, other than the Crosstown shootout and still kind of discussing Kentucky, Indiana. Um, I, I, I really I, I love debating um, – all the issues that go with the student athlete, because it's everyone can kind of go either way. Everyone's got their own opinion, and you know, they're, you're for playoff, you're for BCS. I mean, there's so many different things to to debate. So um, I, I was really glad he wrote it, and you know, it was a really insightful piece. Um, and my, I myself am not for it. To, uh, to be, I, I think universities and colleges are an institution. Um, and being able to play basketball, being able to play sport is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you, if you want to, you know, I like I, I went to school for broadcast production, but I wanted it to go into sports broadcast. There wasn't a sports broadcasting major, so I took production, but catered most of my work around sports. Yeah, how is applicable to sports? Yeah, exactly. And even if you know the uh, the professors geared stuff towards local news or, you know, broadcast production, I would always try to see how, well, you know, it was applicable to sports. So I think that is still the the best way to do it. Um, because if you're a former division one athlete, you're, you're always going to have uh, an easier way to stay in the sport at a higher level. If it's a uh, marketing, uh, promotions, training, uh, what have you. Yeah. And we, all of us, the three, the three of us, well, Scott went to Wake Forest, which is a Division One program. I went to a Division One program, really small. But that uh, one of the questions I have, even though you're not in favor of this, Rob is is definitely a, a pro, allowing you to major in these these big time sports. Where my question is, where is the cutoff? Is it only at BCS schools? Uh, is it at across all 330, 335 bas- Division One basketball schools? Is it the whole NCAA landscape um, saying, you know, even though I'm at Division Two, there's no reason that, you know, we're a dominant D2 powerhouse. I can't be a, a basketball major in, in my four years in college. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think that the not, not the ideal situation because I'm against it, but so almost the perfect storm in which this would work the best is if, you know, at 65 or 68 team BCS, uh, kind of hodgepodge of the six conferences, yeah. <laughs> split off. So you can really find a, a dividing line. Because even the schools like, uh, you know, Belmont, Butler, uh, Creighton, great schools. I love basketball. But it would have to be sort of what everyone knows is to be powerhouse revenue um, institutions. That's probably, you. I mean, because with this, you'll really have to draw the line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because their schools, you know, coming into Division One basketball every year this year with Nebraska, Omaha, next year with Northern Kentucky. So can those guys just say, I want to major in basketball? Um, so it's again, it's a, a, I love debating stuff like this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think I think it would have to come down to whether or not the university would cr- actually want to create the major, and then I think you get into this point where. Now UConn has a basketball major. They use that as a major recruiting tool. And then, you know, they're going to win out on a couple of neck-and-neck recruits with guys like Kentucky. And then, you know, I think the domino, you'll see the domino effect if it actually does happen. I'm sort of a proponent of maybe not a major, but some sort of concentration where they can teach these kids who might have the ability to make money hand over fist and not just piss it away like you've seen from Travis Henry, like Antoine Walker. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of uh, examples of, you know, former athletes, current athletes going bankrupt. And I think that sort of having some sort of program where these guys can learn how to manage their money a little bit better might be beneficial in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, it would be difficult to just have a couple institutions do it because, you know, if UConn has it, if Syracuse has it, again, yeah, like you said, they can win those those recruiting battles because kids, if they're taking classes on sports or if they're playing basketball and, you know, the people within the, the program are teaching it to them, they're going to want – they're going to uh, be geared towards that instead of having to go to a school, you know, where they have to go or they have to find another major, even if it's – Oh, you know, certainly. Like, Communications you know, uh, or criminal yeah. justice, which, which even those ridiculous ones like you know recreational management or you know stuff like clown that. clown school so, at Florida State. Yeah, do, do they really have that? Yeah, they have a clown school. <laughs> <laughs> wow, pretty awesome. Disney World. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a heated debate. I I, I enjoyed as well. You you talked about. Sure, you talk about that cutoff. I mean, there, there needs to be a divide or a threshold. And from that article, I, I really enjoyed the the piece as well. And I'm glad you guys linked to it and also gave your your spin on it. But that divide they they wrote of in the Yukon context was in 2013, and you guys talked about Yukon could be coming off their second straight title if 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 all goes well this year. And in 2013, they would be ineligible for the the tournament because of the poor academic reports. So does this – what I'm kind of interested too is if you get these kids that are very interested in basketball, that, you know, they want to be a coach or, you know, they love the coaching element, the psychology, the training, the nutrition, the classes that they're more interested in and and they're going to put more time in the classroom about – do you think that could actually help graduation rates and, and boost their their numbers that they report back to the NCAA? You know, I'm not sure it does because I don't think – I think it will make learning for these kids easier. I think as uh, as instructors, as professors, it will it will make getting the knowledge across and having them attentive and, and working harder, it will be a lot easier. But the kids who are being told by scouts that they can go – you know, somewhere in the first round, they're still going to leave. If a, if a kid doesn't want to be in school and has an opportunity to make money elsewhere, they're going to take it. I don't think even allowing them to major in basketball is really going to boost the ratings, uh, the academic ratings. I think it will help in recruiting, and I, I think it might help 
grades, but not necessarily graduation rate is what I'm trying yeah. to say. I think because, okay. you know, it, here, the, another part of it is, well, if they're majoring in basketball, then do they not have to take a core class where they're not taking geology mm -hmm. or they're not taking, you know, British literature? Because as we all know, you're going to work harder. You're going to be more involved in something that you enjoy. So if everything is around basketball, even if it's psychology, even if it's broadcast business, if it's centered around sports, those athletes are going to be more excited and um, attentive. So if there's no core, then yes, absolutely, it's going to uh, you know help them in terms of getting their the, the, the grades up. Yeah, I mean, I I think you hit the nail on the head. Is I don't think it's going to improve graduation rates because the people that are going to be more apt to be a basketball major are those guys that are going to leave before they have the opportunity to graduate. Um, but I think that you know we've we've sort of covered this in depth, and and I, we've all been saying that it's a fascinating debate and just something that everyone should sort of think about, not you know, and figure out if, what your stance is. But I think what everyone has been talking about for months and months and months is all these college uh, conferences realigning. And specifically for our podcast, we're all interested in the Big East realignment where Pitt and uh, Syracuse are leaving for the ACC and then the addition of uh, three new teams. Uh, I mean, the addition of those teams is ridiculous. Uh, again, I'm a Georgetown <laughs> guy, so I'm only here for the basketball. You know, we don't we don't have a football team, um, and you know, no, you play in the Patriot League. Come on, yeah, it's, it's huge. I've, I've had friends who played it's for one the beat. team, and I've seen the teams play. It's brutal. All right, I probably with very <laughs> limited football experience probably could suit up for that team. Um, <laughs> but so what is again? Like, what does that say for other historical teams of the Providences, Seton Halls, Villanovas? Uh, it, you know, what do they, what do they do? It's we're because, you know, they can't get money in, in the football. And so now we have to bring in these, uh, you almost call them like they can, schools like SMU that can lift a lot of weight, but they, they don't bring anything to the table except revenue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, is yeah. anyone going to be really excited to see that SMU Providence game? <laughs> oh, I'm SMU USF. It. Yeah. Yeah. The battle is, jeez. I mean, well, they they bring your talk. They bring the TV yeah. markets. I mean, they that's Dallas there, and then Houston. Houston, another big market. So, but but outside of that, once you once you look past that, it's like how you said about passion and interest. How does a how do normal fans and a TV viewer and all that? How do I mean? I'm not going to watch that. And just the idea that now, you know, Houston can and SMU can tell recruits, well, we're playing in the Big East. Yeah. Yeah, but Syracuse is going to be gone and Pittsburgh is going to be gone. And those are only two teams, but that's a, a huge chunk of the backbone. You know, you get rid of UConn and it's it's dead in the water. Uh, West Virginia yeah, is gone exactly. too. Um, and, yeah. you know, Louisville isn't pleased with their current situation. So it's literally shifting into – the conference USA almost. Um, yeah, and I've even heard about uh, possibilities of Notre Dame basketball and, and Georgetown, Nova, Rutgers, and UConn, all some sort of combination of two of those teams moving to the ACC and creating a 16-team league down there. So I don't, I don't even know if we're, if we're done with all the realignment. Yeah, it, it, 
you really never know. Um, yeah. It it, can, it comes and goes, and there, there'll be talk, and then we'll think, well, it's leading towards something, and then nothing happens. Um, but I think from my perspective, I think the best way is either you, you – well, it's, it's still so difficult because there's football and there's basketball. And for me, it's basketball rules. You know, I'm from the East mm-hmm. Coast. gets cold a lot. So you're going inside to watch basketball games. And I didn't grow up with a, fo- a football team. So, you know, I want to see Seton Hall, Georgetown, Villanova, all those teams in a, a powerhouse conference, but they don't bring anything to the table. Um, but even if you make yep. uh, six, to, probably six, you know, big 16-team conferences, you it would, you would cover the gamut. And there would be some teams that could, you know, not play football and you would still have maybe 12 teams for football, and that's enough for a conference tournament. Um, but I'm a huge proponent of making it based on geography. Nothing upsets me more about Houston and SMU coming mm-hmm. to the Big East than the fact that they're not in the East. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Yep. Well, we were we were talking student-athlete uh, in, in our earlier topic. These kids, uh, you're playing a Tuesday night game. You're a you're a Providence student, and you're telling me I got to go to, uh, you know, SMU for a for a Tuesday night conference game, and then we got to play uh, Thursday Thursday night back up at at yeah. Villanova. It, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it it doesn't make sense. And you know the the directors, the board of directors, and the the, reg, the regents, they all say, well, you know, travel isn't a big concern. It it doesn't take a hit. Yeah, but you can't just tell a student to, okay, well, we have three hours on this plane. That's when you should study. No, no student yeah. gets any studying done on planes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially so following big games, too, you know? You're amped up. Now, be the ultimate prognosticator that you are, and let's get back to your Georgetown roots. Tell us, because of all this realignment, the context of that, where do you see – and this can speak for Villanova and some of these other schools, but where do you see Georgetown's basketball program because of realignment in 10 to 15 years? I mean, can it still recruit very well? Can it compete year in and year out in the, in the national tournament? I think it, it will, at least in the national tournament. My, my big fear for the, the tournament is that, you know, that BCS sort of uh, contingency breaks off from the NCAA um, because that's the greatest part of the NCAA tournament is, Having, you know, the the smaller conference teams be able to compete with the uh, BCS conference teams. Ideally, I, you know, I haven't really heard this dis- discussed at all. But I would almost like to see, um, again, being a big proponent of geography based realignment, to see the Seton Halls, the Georgetowns, the Villanovas shift to the Atlantic Ten um, because they could mm-hmm. at least compete in football um, with the UMass yeah. and Dayton and all Temple those teams. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there is um, a lot of historical pride in that conference, even though you know they haven't won national. Ch- there haven't been a lot of national champions from the A10, but it's still it fits the mold of the the traditional Catholic schools with passionate college basketball fan bases that will draw and that will recruit, um, but th- just don't have football. I think that's the easiest thing for them to do, and then UConn going to the Atlantic Ten. Or the Atlantic, sorry, the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. ACC. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that Atlantic 10, you just blew my mind a little bit. That That's, uh, I think that that would really work out well because 
the, I always think that the A10 is they have that grittiness factor, and I think all of those teams that you mentioned, Seton Hall and Providence and Nova, they all they all have that to it. And um, you know, just looking from a Philadelphia uh, standpoint, you you create a natural rivalry between Villanova and Temple right away. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, um, and that it's even more passionate because of the Big Five. But I mean, when you put now that they're competing for mm-hmm. not only uh, Big Five but as conference a conference five. title, it's you know yeah. a lot of rivalries will will open up. Um, I know uh, Dayton and Georgetown used to have a non-conference series back in the the mid '80s, early '90s that was heated. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, being that a lot of the schools are the smaller Catholic schools, they build rivalries between each other. You know, Xavier, Villanova, um, you know, Providence, uh, Fordham, stuff like that. I would like to see Boston College move back because I just don't see how they fit into the uh, the ACC mold. Um, yeah, they sort of don't as an ACC fan, and um, you're absolutely correct. I, I would, as an ACC fan, I would love to trade them for uh, UConn pretty yeah, simply. Yeah, I mean, it, because uh, – even the schools like Clem- even though the geography of Pittsburgh Clemson doesn't match up, it, the profile of the university kind of does. Um, exactly. The size, the money they have to invest in everything. Um, so mm-hmm. I I kind of wish that the people in charge saw it this way. I don't know what if, if they just see these lists with all the money they can make and just forget about everything else. But it's like. There's so many of us who have these pretty logical uh, ways to figure this out, yet it's the the solutions is always completely different than what we what we think about. Well, yeah, we're your site along with with our podcast. It's a fan centric voice and perspective, and I think that a ten argument is for the fan. It's not going to generate a ton of dollars. We we all know that because it doesn't have a football slant to it. But for fans and the rivalries, I, Scott, you bringing up Philadelphia, that just seems it seems like it makes a whole lot of sense. That that would be wild. Yeah, I mean all all those. Uh, I mean, I went down to the Bucknell LaSalle game a few weeks ago, and looking looking up at the I love looking up at, at the old gyms and seeing all the the colors of the rafters of every team that's in your conference. The A tens, the A ten has stayed pretty consistent, so it's like okay, I know all these teams and they've been around forever. There's some quality. It goes without saying. There's some quality teams in that, and and adding a Villanova and Seton Hall and Providence is is very intriguing. Yeah, definitely. It, it's just you know, with the passions there, but passion doesn't equate to dollars, unfortunately. And as we've all figured out or learned the hard way, it's it's about the money. Yeah, unfortunately, it is. Um, yeah, but I, I think that, you know, the, the realignment is really interesting and the article on your, you know, the education slant of, of everything, it, that sort of blew my mind as well. And, you know, it was good to talk about Syracuse's, um, ridiculous depth this season. And, you know, I just want to thank you, uh, Troy for coming on and, and spend some time with the six overtimes podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Anytime, man. I, uh, Really enjoy it. Yeah, and we'll uh, the Twitter handle to find you is at Ballin as a habit, and there's no G on that, right? Nope. No G. Scott was trying to listen to your uh, the tune. Who was that by Scott? Uh, Chameleonaire and fifty fifty, right? <laughs> I believe so. You know, I I think uh, 
I think Lil Wayne also came out with a song called Ballin' is a Habit. I think there have been actually like three or four songs called that. Um, <laughs> so when people ask us, I'm like, well, which one are you referring to? Because <laughs> it, it's kind of a, a catchy title. Which one was made for your – I mean, they recorded those for your site. Oh, yeah, all of them. Of course. <laughs> signed Especially little, little Wayne did it in jail. He, that's where he produced it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, he actually uh, recited the whole thing to me over the phone, which was really <laughs> nice of him. He's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. The one call he got. Oh, man. That's funny. That's cool. Good. Well, uh, thanks again, Troy, and hopefully um, hopefully we'll have Rob you on. on. Get you on again and get Rob on and uh, talk. I, I love the storylines as, as you're – on the court and off the court, it's it's awesome. Yeah, thanks again, guys.